0: wasn't God's presence awesome in worship this morning? Amen. And, uh, I always appreciate when Brooke leads us in prayer too. I, I appreciate people. We've come from all different kinds of church backgrounds. All right. We're, we got a, a whole array of, of different denominations representing here. How many of y'all grew up in a different denomination than this church? All right. Uh, how many of y'all were like a church mutt like me? You grew up in all kinds of different churches. They kept kicking you out, so you just kept trying to find the next one. Okay, you may not agree with that last part, but that was me. So, But uh, she she was raised in, in kind of an apostolic Pentecostal background, and so that she likes to bring that fire. We're glad the Lord set her free to wear jeans in church, though, so that's awesome. If y'all don't mind, I just want to pray over this word. Uh, And just pray that our hearts would be open. Lord, we thank you for being here. We certainly don't deserve it. And we respect it. And we honor you. It is all about you. And it is for you. And the amazing thing is you're all about us. And we don't deserve that. But... Somebody in here needs to know that you're all about them. You love them more than they could ever imagine. There's no explanation for it. And so, Lord, you know I'm not feeling super, super great about this word. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But I'm thankful it's not about me. I'm thankful for your word. And I pray that just by your spirit, because of your goodness, your faithfulness, would you speak to us? Lord, would every heart and every mind be open to whatever you want to say and however you want to say it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got to get a Kleenex. Some of y'all aren't used to pastors crying on stage, and I'm sorry about that. It's not my fault. But uh, anyway, God's just been so good. You know, we're sending our kids back to school, too, uh, and uh, we've got four of them. So, you know, you can have all kinds of emotions. Usually when I interview people about that, it's like half the kids are excited to go back to school, and the other half of the kids think they're smart enough they don't need to go to school. And that's how it is in our house. We got a couple that are excited to go back to school, and then a couple are like, eh, who needs school? You know, I'm just going to hack into banks and stuff like that and take all their money, so I won't need to make a living. But uh, but we're living in some crazy times, amen? And uh, and so I, I would say probably most of the parents are, and it's kind of half and half of the parents. Like, half of the parents are like, yes, structure, school. Send them now. Uh, and then some of you are like, I love all the time with my kids. I love long summers. I love them just being around. So it's hard for you to send your babies back to school. But, but I do know this. It is the mission field, people. It is the mission field. And the mission field is getting more and more ungodly. And we need godly young men and women that are going into our schools with kingdom vision, that sense the presence of God around them and on their hearts, bold and ready to do the things that God's asked them to do. And the same with their teachers. Amen? Turn your Bibles in to the book of Jonah. Starting this series today, we're going to start right from the beginning. It's not necessarily an expository teaching on this, but but we are going to go verse by verse for the most part. It says in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Their wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah is a runaway prophet. In fact, he was the only prophet that refused, refused to give a word that the Lord had given him. The fact is, everywhere, everyone in this room, we're going to really fall into one of four categories when it comes to Our spiritual obedience. We're either running away from God. Some of us are running against God. It's a scary place to be. But even Paul, he he spent a season of his life, Saul, running against God. Or there's people that realize they need God, so they're running to God. Or we're running with God. I don't know about you, but I want to spend as much of my life as possible running to God so I can run with God. There's nothing like running with God. I also don't know about you, but it's hard to do that. It's not easy to do that. And there's a lot of things that can distract us and keep us from doing that. And it starts at a pretty young age that we have a tendency to not want to do things that we don't want to do. Anybody raising a kid that just makes it very clear when they don't want to do something? Anybody in the house? Okay. Uh, I remember one of the things, as I look back on how I grew up how my parents raised me, one of the things I'm really thankful for is there was no way that I could manipulate my parents. They were straight shooters. They would see straight through it with, with all of us kids. I have an older brother, a younger sister. Uh, I'm the middle child. That explains a lot. It really does. And, uh, but, but I remember, like, you couldn't manipulate my parents. I remember as a teenager... I was, I was in our truck with my dad and my brother, and we, at that point, were living uh, at this place that was way out of town, way away from really any town, and, and so we're driving through the mountains of Colorado, heading to this place that we're staying, and my brother and I thought there, we, we, we were stupid and thought, hey, I think we could try to, like, kind of give our dad an ultimatum to do something. And, uh, and if you knew my dad, you'd know just how laughable that is. But, but we're talking to him, and, then, and, and so at one point, we're like, you know, so here's, here's the ultimatum. We think that you should do this, or, or, or this is what we're going to do. And, and he just calmly pulled our truck over on the side of the road, and he said, okay, time to walk. We were six miles from where we were staying at that point. It was the middle of the night in the mountains of Colorado, <laughs> And he's like, we're like, dad, we're a long ways away from home. He's like, I know that's going to give you so much time to talk to God about your decisions and what you're trying to do right now. And so he literally, we got out and we walked home that night. I remember being a little kid though. It started pretty young with me where I, you know, I I would try to motivate my parents to do things when I didn't want to do something. I remember at one point, my mom sent me to my room. I was three years old. My mom sent me to my room to clean my room and I didn't want to clean my room. So uh, I opened the door on my window, and and we were on the first floor, but there was a little bit of a drop. It was an apartment, and I took a brush, and I tore the screen, I tore a big old hole in the screen with this brush, and then I climbed out and ran away, and when you're three years old, it feels like you've been gone a really long time, like I've been running away for years now, I wonder if my parents, I wonder if mom regrets trying to make me clean my room. And so the sad thing was I went back through the front door of the apartment and mom was there and mom saw me and didn't even realize I'd been gone. Like didn't like, so I'm like my whole idea of trying to manipulate her didn't work because she didn't even notice I was gone. So I learned from that. And one of the other times that I ran away, it happened a few times, okay? But the, one of the other times I ran it's like, this is the way I'm gonna do it this time. This time I'm gonna threaten her that I'm gonna run away. So I go to mom, like, mom, I'm gonna run away. And my expectation was she was gonna plead, like, please don't, Chase. You're my favorite kid ever, and our family will fall apart without you like that's what I expected but when I told her she looked relieved she was like okay can I help you pack like you know like it's like that what so I ran away I still went still left and I remember I, I got like a couple miles up the road heading towards the mountains where we were living at the time and I realized nobody's coming to get me I'm just out here by myself and we're having breakfast for dinner, and I love breakfast for dinner. So I'm just going to go ahead and go home now. <laughs> the fact is, there is something in every one of us that at one point or another will try to run away from what is best. And at one point or another, every one of us may even run away from the things of God. And so I want to talk about that. At one point or another, some of you might have even said, I've just had it. I'm going to go my own way. I'm running from God. I don't feel like doing what he's asking me to do with my life. And some of you might know someone that's doing that right now. They're running away from the Lord. You pray for them. It might be a kid. It might be one of your kids. Some of you, you're in here right now. And you're still running away from the Lord. But the way that you're running away from the Lord is his spirit by his gentleness and kindness is trying to convict you about an area of your life that you know doesn't line up with his word. You know doesn't line up with his will. But you use church attendance to put a bandaid on your conscience. And, And you're still running So you can find a little bit of reprieve. But I want you to know that that little bit of reprieve from that conviction and that conscience is not actually a good thing. Sometimes the enemy can even use that to send you further into compromise. Because when it becomes about how you feel rather than the convictions of your spirit, it's a dangerous place to live. So whether you know somebody that's out there and you know they're running away from the Lord or you're in here right now, but the truth is you're not even really being honest and real because you know there's an area that you are running away from the Lord. The great thing is this story teaches us God's heart for people. This story teaches us God's heart even for you. So this is one of the books in the Bible where skeptics would point out and say, aha, this, this proves that the Bible is not true because it's impossible that a person could be swallowed by a fish or a whale and live after three days. Okay? Well, a couple of things. One of, you, one of the things is i got to point this out because some of you are like, aha, there's a whale on, this, on the screen, and in the script it says big fish, and so they're all ready." Not following the scriptures. Well, anybody that feels that way, just so you know, I became aware. In the ancient Hebrew, there wasn't a word to distinguish between mammals and fish. So when it said the word, whatever that word is in the Hebrew, we don't know if they were talking about a whale or a fish. So just want to get that out of the way so you're not hung up on the whale the whole time and missing the whole point of the rest of the sermon. But the other thing is this. There are a couple of situations actually recorded in history where people have been swallowed by whales and survived. Actually, back in the turn of the 19th century, a man named James Bartley, after they had harpooned and killed a whale and were gutting it, found him in the stomach of a whale, and he'd been there for several days, and he was alive. Just a couple years ago, a man named Tom Packard, while he was diving off the coast of Maine hunting for lobsters, was swallowed whole by a well. Okay, so he was only in there for a couple of minutes, but he survived, broke his leg, but he survived. The interesting thing about old Tom is 10 years before that, he was in a plane crash in Costa Rica where several people were killed. So I would hope that at this point, God has gotten Tom's attention. And he has turned his life over to Jesus. It's also probably safe to say no one wants to be Tom's friend because if you hang out around Tom's, bad stuff happens, okay? But this story in a nutshell is God's plan for Jonah's life, but it's also about God's love for people, but it's also fundamentally about Jonah's refusal to do what God said to do. He's the first missionary prophet in the Bible, and he's on the run. And a couple things about that. When you're running from God, the first thing is this, problems begin to pile up. When I run from God. As a sub point, you could write this down. The trajectory of your life changes. Whether you realize it or not. And usually the enemy, because of how he deceives, he doesn't mind if you just get off path by a couple degrees. Because even a couple degrees off of the path that God has for you, down the road puts you a long ways away from where you're supposed to be. This back Going back to the text, this is the New King James Version, verses one through three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. If you go to verse three and it says, he went down, he went down to Joppa. You can highlight, circle down. Every time it happens, down. Because this not only indicates the geographic direction of Jonah's life, it also is an indication of the direction of his soul. It's going down the direction of his spirit. It's going down. The New American Standard Translation says it went down to Joppa, and he went down into the boat, and he winds up going down into the water, and then down into the belly of the fish or well. It's written like this for this person be, purpose, because if you happen to survive a runaway life from God, you just have to accept that the overall decline and downward spiral is going to be there. The, the tricky thing is, You may be early in that process, and right now your life will appear like it's just fine. You might even say things are going really well. You might be enjoying what seems like your freedom from God and from the standard of his word. But I have to tell you, sooner or later, you're going down. It's just a fact of life. Verse 4 says, suddenly the Lord flung a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to send them to the bottom. Again, down. So I think a good question, an important question for you to answer is, how comfortable are you facing life totally separated from God? It's a different experience when you face a storm of life connected to God than when you face that same storm completely disconnected. From God, I noticed that even with real storms, you know, with real storms, the people that are connected to the Lord, they're walking in devotional life with them. It's not that they're not concerned, but, but they just have a little bit different response and reaction to tornadoes and hurricanes than maybe somebody who doesn't have the hope of Jesus. It's the same thing with the other storms of life. Jonah's separation from God begins to increase from there. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Okay, well, Nineveh was about 550 miles from where Jonah was when the word came to him. So that'd be like God saying, hey, I want you to go to Nashville. Go to Nashville, okay? But then Jonah decides he's going to head to Tarshish, which is just south of Gibraltar at that time, geographically. So this would be like God saying, I want you to go to Nashville. And then Jonah thumbs a ride to Bogota, Colombia. Drastic difference, heading in the complete different direction. For Jonah to get back to where God had originally sent him to go, instead of traveling 500, 550 miles, he was going to have to travel upwards of 3,000 miles to get back to the place that God wanted him. Which is, which is exactly what happens when we allow compromise, when we continue to chase after sin. Here's a quote. I don't know who wrote it, but it is so true. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you, than you wanna, longer than you want to stay, and cost you way more than you ever wanted to pay. That's what it does. It'll pull you away and pull you away. And Jonah had to pay the fare. <laughs> he paid the fare. So another subpoint under that is your choices affect those that are closest to you, too. It's going to affect other people around you. Like if you're in this place right now, if you're running and rebelling against God, like, like Jonah was, don't book a cruise right now, okay? Don't please like save everybody else that's gonna be on that boat. The heartache and the hassle. Jonah gets on board the boat. God sends a storm on the water because of Jonah. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. The Bible says he disciplines those that are his, his kids. He disciplines those that he loves. When you are in rebellion, at least initially, God is going to go after you. God's got a hurricane with your name on it because he loves you enough to send the storm. But you could say this. If you're in rebellion and God is not coming after you, it might be because you're someone else's kid. And that's also a really scary place to be. So the other people that are on the boat are terrified. Their lives are in jeopardy now, but they gather that it's not because of them. It's because of Jonah. But because they're in the same boat as him, they're suffering too. I've heard so many people say and excuse their lifestyle, their choices, their addictions, their sinful thought patterns, their harmful behaviors by saying, it's my life. And I do what I want because it doesn't hurt anybody else but me wrong. It always is hurting other people. It is always hurting other people. People are affected by what you choose to do or choose not to do. When we're in sin, the consequences of our sin, they become like tentacles that reach out and affect everyone else that's near us. It affects other people. One of my first out-of-country missions trips I was around 14 years old. I went down to Mexico, and I was on this trip with these couple of other guys that I really wanted to impress. I really wanted uh, to get their favor. I wanted to be cool to them. Uh, and my brother was there on the trip with us. And, and I remember, because I was so focused on being accepted, uh, on, on them thinking that I was cool, that I acted a fool pretty much the whole trip on a missions trip. There's a lot of bad things that happened on that trip, but I want to just tell you about one of many, many things that happened. At one point, uh, we're doing a lot of manual labor and like clearing brush and stuff to build a house, and, and so we're, we're using machetes, and, and they needed to be sharpened, so we went over to this shed, and this guy that we were working with was, was sharpening up the machetes, and while we're there, I noticed one of those beehive boxes, over next to the shed and the other one of the other guys that's with me that one of the guys I was trying to impress he noticed it too and there was just like maybe what seemed like a b around the hive and he's like man I wonder if there's anything in there I'm like yeah wonder if there's anything in there also too I wonder that he's like man you should take that stick and just kind of like rattle it a little and he's like yeah I should, that would be cool, and I am cool, so I'm gonna do that now. So I took this stick and I just kind of rattled it in the bottom of the beehive, and nothing really happened. Nothing happened, so I was like, well, but I was still the cool guy that was willing to rattle the stick at the beehive, right? Soon we both kind of, we just kind of turn around and we're, we're focusing on the guy sharpening the machetes, and then I begin to hear a noise. the sound of many wings and I look back and there are thousands of bees now pouring out of this hive and they don't seem happy and so uh, you would think I would say hey watch out there's a lot of bees they seem angry I didn't. I just ran. I didn't tell anybody they were coming out. I just ran. I ran. And so I got down the road and I looked back and about, about 50 yards behind me were these other guys that I was trying to impress being attacked by a swarm of bees. I mean, you could see them just like coming in and they're, they're getting stung and they're still trying to run. And I'm just like, well, what do you know? That's interesting, you know? And, and so one of the guys that I was the most interested in trying to impress got stung like 13 times, okay? So thankfully, none of them were definitely allergic because killing one of them definitely would not have impressed them. That, that's, that's probably safe to say. But you know what? Your sin is exactly like that. All that junk that you let get into you it's gonna get onto others at some point. It's kind of like you holding onto a live grenade and holding it to your chest and you defiantly saying, I can do what I wanna do, I can live my way, I'm living my truth, it won't hurt anyone else and then pull the pen. Problem is you don't get to choose where the shrapnel goes. You don't get to choose what direction that explosion goes. And I've sat with so many people, many of them weeping and in tears and saying things like, if I only would have known how this was going to destroy my business, destroy the lives of my co-workers, I would never would have done it. if I only would have known how this was going to break my husband's heart, my wife's heart, I never would have done what I did. If I would have known that I was cutting scars across the souls of my children by making this decision, I never would have done it. And I know people that are living that way. And you may be living that way too. But what I know is this. No matter how hard you've been working to run away from the things of God, no matter how hard you've been working to jack up his plan and purpose for your life, you are still not too far gone and he can still rescue you. He can still save you. The way he does it, though, as we get into the story, may not be pleasant. But I am praying with as much passion, compassion, and energy as I can that those people around me that I see running after the things of the world, rebelling against the things of God, rebelling against his word, that they would have a genuine change of heart. And I know that God can do it so back to our text, God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. It's not saying preach against the people. He's saying preach against the sin. Because it says that their wickedness has come up before me. In other words, God is seeing the brokenness of their wickedness and sin. And so you may look at this and say, this is, this is God getting ready to bring his judgment. Well, He is going to bring his judgment if they don't repent. But it's compassion first. It's grace first. It's love first. So number two, God has a second chance for every person. Every person. Jonah is not just a story about a big fish or a well. It's a story about a big guy with a huge heart for lost people. So let me give you some context. The people of God hated Nineveh because it was the capital of Assyria, and these were ruthless people. They were terrorists. They were the ISIS of their time. When cities or other places would hear that these people were coming to invade, a lot of times those cities and communities would commit mass suicide to avoid having to live through the torture and the torment that it was to be under these people's reign and captivity. I read accounts of one of the things that they would do to torture people, to mock people. They would cut off their legs and one of their arms and then shake their hand as they would die. They had pyramids made out of human skulls. So you even hear those couple of things, and there's way worse things that these people would do. And as you hear that, most of us would be like, I'm with Jonah. Let him die. I'm with Jonah. These people do not deserve grace. And the fact is the main reason why Jonah didn't want to go is because he didn't want these people to have an opportunity to repent. And I know some of us are saying, there's no way I'd ever do that. But I would suggest that sometimes the way that we live our life and how selfish we are with the testimony that God has given us is saying exactly what Jonah said. I don't necessarily care about them having the opportunity to repent. If we're all honest, sometimes maybe the only peace that we have here on earth is knowing that I won't have to put up with certain people in eternity. But the fact is no one deserves grace. That's why it's grace. When God said, I'm going to destroy this place in 40 days, I'm sure all of Israel is like, great. I'll pop the popcorn. I want a front seat to this. And again, sometimes we miss the heart of God, too. Maybe we forget that he's still out seeking whosoever. Whosoever. It doesn't put a qualifier on it. It's not based on our determinant of how good or bad they are or how evil they are. Based on their political party or their opinion about something or It's whosoever. That's the heart of God. And I believe that God is up to, like he's always been up to, but maybe in a favorable moment right now, he's up to drawing lost people to himself. People that are off track, bound up, hopeless, helpless, even evil in our own eyes. And God still wants to give them a second chance. But we've got to get our eyes On this. They aren't natural eyes. They're spiritual eyes. But you can't get your spiritual eyes on something if you're not in tune to the spirit. But everyone deserves a second chance. No one is too far from God. That God's grace can't reach him. In Acts 20 24. This is Paul speaking. He says, but I reckon my own life to be worth nothing to me. I only want to complete the mission and finish the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do, which is to declare the good news about the grace of God. This is his singular focus. He's saying, I'm going to be emptied of my best energy in life, making sure that as many people as possible get to hear about the grace of Jesus his love, how it impacted my life. He said that he had a grace bestowed on him and a grace working through him. And you do too, if you're a believer. The fact is, you have a mission. I know that. The reason why I know that is because if God didn't give us a mission after we were saved, he would just take us to heaven. Because, what would be the point of us living any longer if the only point was for us just to get saved? No, we get saved and then we get put on mission. Because there's other people that need to be saved. Jonah is running from God and at one point sleeping. He needed a wake up call. And I believe that God is doing that in his church. And I believe that God is doing that in this church right now, waking us up from a slumber. We've got a mission to get done. The reason why we started this church is for lost souls, for people that are de-churched, unchurched, away from the presence of God. God planted a burden in Pastor Rick and Michelle. They moved here from Louisiana, left everything that they knew because they knew that there were people here that needed Jesus, that if we partnered with other local churches with passion, that we, if we could just get people into the presence of God, that he could change their life. And God is stirring that again in our church. So it may be a family member, you need to get your eyes on that need Jesus, but it might be friends, neighbors, coworkers, that you need to get your spiritual eyes on them, because they need to hear about the grace of Jesus, the plan of God. Number three, the Lord provided. Skipping ahead a little bit, verse 17 says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here's my prayer for you. Whatever it takes to get you to stop running from God, I pray that he does it. I pray that he does it. If it's a sermon, praise God. If it's a song, praise God. If it's Caleb, praise God. If it's a whisper, if it's a friend, if it's a whale, praise God, send it. Send it, God, so that we don't run anymore away from what you have for us to do, whatever it takes. So many times in our lives, God bails us out, but it doesn't look like what we thought it would look like. And many times it's painful is about to spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and I'm sure that's not what he was hoping for. That would have been miserable. And I know some of us are still skeptics. Like, like really? Three days in a whale and a fish? There's a little girl, while she was at school, her teacher made it very clear that he was an atheist. But one day they're talking about different sea animals and creatures, and they're talking about whales. And the little girl goes, I love whales. I've always loved whales. I've heard a story at church about a whale that that swallowed a man named Jonah, and he was in there for three days. And the teacher's like, that's ridiculous. That's just proof that everything in the Bible is false. That doesn't even make sense. And the little girl's like, no, but I believe it. I, I think that that happened. And then the teacher just starts shooting questions at the little girl. Well, what about this? Or what about this? Or what about this? How, what about oxygen? There's no fresh water. No one can survive without water for three days. And what, uh, they're just eating whatever's in the stomach and they would get sick and then they would die even quicker. All these things. And the little girl's like, I don't know the answers to all of those questions. Maybe when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah and he'll explain it to me. And the teacher says, okay, but what if Jonah isn't in heaven? And the little girl paused for a second. She said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) And some of us are raising children just like that. Praise God. But the fact is, even Jesus believed it. He even compared what he was going to do for you and I to what happened to Jonah. But the other thing is, if I can believe that Jesus was dead, buried for three days, uh, Jonah's not a big deal to me, you know? But the miracle is actually not him being swallowed. The miracle is that the fish obeyed. As a matter of fact, Jonah is the only character in the whole book that doesn't obey. Every other character in the book obeys, including fish or whale, cattle Everybody gets saved in this story because they're obedient, except Jonah. He's not obedient. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. The whole sermon, man, could be encapsulated with those scriptures because what he's saying is, he's speaking most of this to the religious people. He's saying, think about how evil Nineveh was. Think about how evil those people were and God still saved them. Through the preaching of a man who didn't want to preach. And you're gonna stand in judgment alongside of the people from Nineveh because you're being given something even greater and you won't respond. The greater is the new covenant, the greater is the grace of God, his love and forgiveness. There's no way that Jonah initially thought that it was going to be a good thing being swallowed by a whale. He thought, I'm sure, that he was going to die. He had no idea that that was God's provision. But the whale was grace. Not judgment, but a messy kind of mercy. And so many times God provides us a way out of our situation or a path of life that he wants for us but it doesn't look like it's the most inviting thing and even painful at times. But God's provision, no matter how painful it is in the short term, is to save us from a lifetime of pain and sometimes even pain that can last for all of eternity. It serves as a way to get us back on the path that God has for us. Path of favor, blessing, path of fulfillment, joy, but a path that is meant to use us to expand the kingdom of God. The great thing is this god's grace can redeem lost time too, because Jonah, on his own, if let's just say that he had somehow when he got thrown out of the boat. Honestly, I think he wanted to die. But let's just say that he somehow got back to shore and he was able to make his way. He was at minimum an eight, eight months away from being able to fulfill with God. By that time, the time frame was gone. That favorable moment that God knew was set up for the people in Nineveh, including the ruler, to accept the message. It would have been gone. But because of the fish, because the fish or the whale was faster than any boat, it made up all the time and put him right back in the place he needed to be and when he needed to be there for that favorable moment. The great thing about God's love and grace is he redeems. And you may feel like I've lost so much time, so much energy. Well, you know what? You may not be able to get all of that time back, but if you will stop, And if you'll stop running away and start running toward, it is amazing how quickly God will redeem the time that was gone. He can bring it back to you. The Lord has provided and will continue to provide ways for you to help him reach souls. Because for him, it's all about souls. There's nothing more important. The word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, go to Nineveh. What is the word of the Lord that he has spoken to you? Who has he asked you to walk across the room to talk to, to bring Jesus to, to invite to come to church? Who is it across the street? Who is it at your school? Has the word of the Lord come to you and are you being obedient with it? Or maybe you're just asleep. God, wake us up. Whatever it takes. Let's pray. As I said, these these four spiritual positions of your soul, of your heart, running away from God, running against God, running to God, running with God. And I believe the Holy Spirit is gonna convict every person who surrendered their life to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but is still resisting the call, still resisting what he has for him, that even starting right now, in this moment, as the Holy Spirit deals with you, you repent, you apologize, that even now you can begin to run with him. But there are some of you that are running away, and even running against, even though that wasn't what you even knew you were doing. The fact is, you're just lost. Some of it is you just didn't know that there's always been a good, loving, heavenly father. That even while you've been doing your best to run away from him, he's always been pursuing you. The fact is, His spirit has never been more than one moment, one choice to stop and turn away from you. He's always been right there. And I want to just speak to anybody as you sense his spirit right now saying it's time. It's time. Stop running. I want to have a relationship with you. I've got a plan and purpose for your life. I love you. I have forgiveness for you. I have grace for you. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is turn towards me. And if you're here and you know that you're away from him, you're lost, you're lost and you're ready to turn towards him. Or maybe You just need to come back to him. You've been running a long time. You've you've even let your heart get hardened towards the things of God. You've let your heart get hardened towards his conviction. You recognize it right now. And even now the Holy Spirit is peeling the scales off of your, your eyes, that hardness off of your heart maybe you need to just let him back in. If you need to turn to him, accept him for the first time or rededicate your life to him, I want to pray with you. And I don't want to give you an opportunity to confess that you need him. The word says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved. At one point or another, it's going to be important that you declare that you've accepted Him. A great way to do that is through water baptism. We'll have an opportunity right after this service. That's, it's a public declaration, a public symbol of the inward commitment that you feel like the Lord is leading you to make right now. But I want you to just take it right there in your chair. But if you know you need him and you're willing to confess and admit, I want you to put your hand up right now. As soon as I see you, We make eye contact. I'm not going to have you keep it up forever. But if that's you, thank you. Anyone else, I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him and I need him. Got you, dude. Thank you. Yes, sir. Anyone else? I need him. I love that. He's waving his hand, making sure I see him. Got it. Right here. Right here. Look, just so you know, it's not you raising your hand that gets you saved. You raising your hand is an act of your free will saying, I need Jesus. But also know this, as soon as you made that decision, you were bold. You didn't care what anybody thought around you. You were bold. You said, I need, I, this is me. I need it. As soon as you put your hand up, that hand became like a conduit for the grace of God to hit your heart. Is there anyone else? I need to call on him as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. I'm tired of running. Tired of doing this on my own, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Okay. Got you, dude. The word says it's in your weakness that God's power is made perfect. The strongest place you will ever be is in a place of weakness and brokenness before your heavenly Father. Anyone else? Got you, dude. Anyone else? The word says that God's not slow, like we would consider Him being slow, but He is patient. He wants to make sure that the time is given. I want to give that one more moment. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus. Thank you, sir. Sometimes the Holy Spirit kind of walks back and forth through a room. (laughs) Sometimes it's like a wave pool that just takes time to progress and I don't wanna rush it. So please be patient. Anyone else, I know the Lord's telling me this been resisting it. I'm tired of fighting it. I'm ready. I want to surrender right now. Okay. I want to pray with everyone that's making this decision. And and I'd like us just to encourage them by repeating the prayer as well. There, are, there is power in our words. There's definitely power in us declaring. So sometimes I lead this prayer. It's just loud enough for your own ears to hear it, or even in your own heart. But, but right now, I want us to pray with them. Somebody around you may need to be able to pray this prayer out loud and with some confidence. So please repeat after me: say, Jesus, I need you. I recognize that I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from you. But I believe that you paid the price. You died on the cross for me. You paid the price for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave. You defeated death so I can have the hope of heaven. You defeated my sin so I can walk in freedom. Thank you, Jesus. I surrender to you. I give my life to you. I wanna live for you with everything that I have for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for moving in this room. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love for meeting so many today, right where they were, rescuing them. But thank you, God, that you've done it for all of us. God, don't let us forget about it. Don't let us forget that the joy of our salvation should motivate us that others would know that same joy that the joy of our salvation, it's your grace that empowers us to live for you. Help us to do it, Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.